going to read God's Word together, reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and reading at verse 1. Let's hear the Word of God. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole of the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray. Father, as we come at the beginning of this new year to Your Word and to spend time reflecting on it, we pray that by Your Spirit, this just wouldn't be the normal, but You might touch us, challenge us, heal us, and encourage us this morning. Amen. 2024, gosh, you're starting to remember the date it's difficult, isn't it? But I wonder what this year has got in store for you. I, I was just beginning to reflect on what might happen this year. Of course, we're, we're nervous about some of it. What's going to happen in Ukraine? What's going to happen in Gaza, in Israel? And then there's elections this year. There's going to be an election in India. I don't know much about that one. 
there's going to be an election in America. I'm a bit nervous about who's going to win that one. There's going to be an election in Russia. I think I know who might win that one. And who knows, in the UK, probably an election here too. Think about governments and big things. But it's not all about governments and big things. I was reading that NASA are planning to send men back to the moon this year. That's going to be a bit different. We haven't done that in at least 50 years. Um, so that's different. And then, of course, the banknotes in your pocket, if you've got any, are going to change because we're going to find our new king's head on them. I wonder what else you're looking forward to in 2024. Scotland winning Euro 2024? Yeah, can but hope. And then I looked to see what was going to happen in the cinemas this year, what I could look forward to going to see. Gladiator 2, Inside Out 2, Kung Fu Panda 4, and Paddington 3. There's a sort of theme here, isn't there? Originality in creativity. Mm, maybe not. Lots of different things going to happen in this coming year. And what about for us? What does the road hold as we look forward? As a congregation, um, a presbytery plan, I hope, and quite possibly steps towards or perhaps the whole of a union with Cross Hill as we met with them last week. That was good. And an opportunity as we do that to, to reorganize, to rethink our congregational life together, how we do things, how we are things, how we, and our mission in our community. Then, of course, there are all the questions about what this year has in store for us individually. There are some things that we're maybe excited about. There are some things that we're maybe nervous about or terrified about. And then there's all the things that we don't know. Where do we start? And where does the first sermon of the year start? And that's what I'd been toiling and thinking about all week. And I decided it could start in many places. It could have started, I suppose, as a spiritual version of New Year's resolutions. Here at the beginning of the year is an opportunity to recommit ourselves to new things we're going to do, to new ways we're going to work. Here at the beginning of the new year is a time to say, I'm going to give more. I'm going to get involved more. I'm going to encourage more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. Or here is, uh, at the beginning of the year, not just New Year's resolutions, but an opportunity to personal discipline. I don't know how many of us at the beginning of a new year are deciding we're going to take more exercise or we're going to go on a, a diet, but a time maybe to reflect spiritually. What does that mean for me as I seek to grow this year? But I don't want to start in any of those places. You have enough people telling you what you should do. I want to start somewhere else, somewhere more obvious, somewhere, in fact, every sermon should start, every part of our church life should focus on, simply on Jesus. And that's where I want to bring you today. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark starts up with these words, the beginning of the good news 
about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if you're looking for a plan to get your Bible reading going this year, and you don't have anything else, I will say to you, why not start by reading the Gospel of Mark? 16 chapters, do it in 16 days. But I don't want you to do that because I should be reading my Bible and I'll feel better if I do. Or I don't know my Bible very well, and if I read it more, I'll learn more about it. Or because it's a good discipline for me to grow spiritually. I want to encourage you to read it so that you would find good news. So you would be remembered and remember that the gospel that we come to isn't a set of instructions or another thing to do or another bit of guilt, but it's good news. And it's about Jesus. And He is good news. And there's nowhere better to start at the beginning of the year. Jesus the Messiah, says Mark. Now, that word doesn't mean an awful lot to us in our context, but in Mark's day, the Messiah is the one everybody was looking for. And what, Jesus was, what, what Mark was saying, as he said, is the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, is he was saying to the folk, whatever it is that's on your heart right now, about the pains of the society about you, about the hopes for the future of the kingdom or the election of the Romans or whatever else it is, Jesus is the one that can fulfill that. This is what I want to bring you to. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of God. Don't doubt who He is. And that term, the Son of God, is spelled out in the next bit where it has God saying to His Son, you are my Son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. That sense of the joy of the Father and the Son. Mark starts off by telling us that everything he's going to tell as he tells this story is, is good news. The, the Greek word, if you want a bit of Greek, is euangelion. It literally means the good message. And it's a technical term in Greek because the word euangelion is, is used of a royal proclamation. You know when they put something on the outside of, of the, the palace door in, 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 at Buckingham Palace, and the last proclamation we heard, of course, put there was not good news. It was the death of the late queen. But, but, but actually, when something's put up there that says, a prince has been born, or somebody's getting married, or, or, or there's really fantastic news, and a royal proclamation perhaps done that way, or with a herald blowing a trumpet, was what was done before there was the BBC coming in with an announcement that told people a battle had been won, a new king was on the throne, a new emperor had arrived, a new son was born, and all the world needs to know and rejoice, the euangelion. And that word gets translated into Anglo-Saxon as gospel which has the same sort of meaning. It means the good story. So Mark says the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. What does he mean when he says gospel? Is he referring to the book we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels? Or is he meaning the story that he's about to tell about Jesus? Or is he meaning everything that's going to be done in Jesus? This is the beginning of it, and it carries on from here, and it goes on into all the world. I'm not quite sure which it is, but there is a level of excitement. Maybe all three. Can we come back 
capture that excitement just now? It's really interesting that when both Paul and the four gospel writers look for a word to sum up the Christian faith, what God has done in Jesus, they go for the word euangelion. Good news. Now, yeah, it's about sin. Yes, it's about God being with us in suffering. Yes, it's about repentance. Yes, it's about transformation. Yes, it's about what's right. Yes, it's about the death of Jesus on the cross for us, paying for our sins that we might be forgiven by God. But all of that taken together is incredibly good news, and good news that we want to rejoice in and we want to share. You know, Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world. I don't mean by that going around saying life's wonderful the whole time. I don't mean that at all. But I mean that we have the center of our story something that the whole of the Bible says is good news. Good news for everyone. Do you believe that? Is it good news? Is it? I sometimes think we're not sure. Even if we think it's true and it's necessary and it's helpful and it's the truth and we should share it, we hesitate on whether it's good news. Sometimes it leaves us with a feeling of inadequacy and guilt because we haven't grasped it properly, but it is good news. I also think it's one of the problems that we have with our mission. We're not very sure it's good news. Maybe we're sitting with people and somebody says something about church or, or belief or whatever it is, and our heart just sinks. Because either I'm going to say nothing and feel really guilty afterwards that I missed the opportunity, or I'm going to say something I'm going to feel dreadful because it's going to be embarrassing and they're all going to laugh at me. And so, we, we maybe say something about what we believe or what Christians think or that we go to church or whatever else it is, and then we're almost left afterwards saying, I'm, I'm really sorry for having said that. I might have upset you, and I'm sorry. As if we've just given them bad news. But what if we had the idea like the shepherds did or the wise men did, that what we have is actually good news, and it's good news for all people, and it's good news for them, then suddenly we would share it in a different way. The beginning of the story that Mark goes on to tell, of course, is the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, all these people flocking out to him because he's got good news to share. John the Baptist coming, and he's different from the temple and the boring stuff that happens in Jerusalem. There's something about the life of God in him, and yet he's pointing to Jesus. And Jesus arrives on the scene and he's baptized, and he's coming out of the water, and those words are spoken. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus is not a child anymore. He's about to start His ministry, and Mark's going to tell us it's going to be hard. The next thing that's going to happen is He's going to be out there being tempted, fighting with the devil in the wilderness, starving, suffering, and all those things. And Mark, the whole of the gospel of Mark leads to the cross and to everything that's going to happen to Jesus in rejection, battles with Satan and the cross and suffering. But at the start of it, 
these words from the Father, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. God's saying to Jesus right at the start, you need to hear this. I am with you, and you're in me, and we are one. Those are the words at Jesus' baptism. It's interesting. I wonder how many of people in their lives today are, are screwed up because no parent said to them at the start, I love you. You matter. You're mine. And it's no accident that it's here at the baptism because the other thing that's happening at the baptism is Jesus is doing something that identifies with us. Every believer hearing Mark's gospel at this point would have known that it was weird that Jesus was baptized because baptism was to do with sin and Jesus didn't sin. But they would also know that they had been baptized. And what does that baptism say? God saying to each and every believer, you are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And if nothing else, as you go away today, the beginning of this year, hear those words to you, marked by your baptism. You are my child whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. Because if we have the notion of a God who loves us and gives us good news and cares for us, then everything else begins to make some sense, and anything else that we begin to have to face or go through, we do with that security that we are loved and we are cared for. And I think that we need to hear that today. There's something else, for it says here that Jesus saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending like a dove. Now, it's interesting in Isaiah, when there's a prayer that's going on in desperate times, and Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What Isaiah is saying at that point is this, this, this deep prayer from the heart, and we have all prayed that prayer, haven't we? God, do something. Do something. Break through the whole thing with your presence. And here is God saying at this baptism, I am rending the heavens and coming down. I'm sending my son. I'm tearing heaven and earth apart for you. You are loved. You are my child, and I delight in you. Yes, the gospel is about our human weakness. Yes, it is about the need to repent. Yes, it's an invitation like the disciples were given to come and to follow, to struggle, to share, to know a deeper commitment. But at the beginning, it is good news because God's power is entering into the world in love. And that is the basis of our walk with Him. Ancient documents from olden days of the Reformation aren't always the most inspiring things. 
but twice this week people have shared with me words that come from 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism, 450, 460 years ago, that Christians have been using throughout Europe for a long time. Now, the, the history of it doesn't matter, but let me share it with you. Here are the words. What is your only comfort in life and death? This is how it starts, a long theological treatise, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Will we say that together? Let me ask the question. What is your only comfort in life and death, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on because it gets better and better. Let's say this together. Read this together. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. How are those words for a good new year? Just know those words from the Scripture, you are my child whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. I'm going to invite you as we sing our next song, Longing for Light, which speaks about our hope in, in the Lord to come and to light a candle. I've got plenty more if we run out. And as you do that, not as a pledge to what you're going to do in the new year or you're going to offer to God in the new year, but in this, to know that His light shines on you. And there's one thing I'd ask you to do this year, is to find a place to allow Him to keep reminding you of that love. For it's that love that leads us in the discipleship that we need, in the commitment that we need, in the prayer that we need. Perhaps you want to read the Gospel of Mark, but not as a discipline or a commandment, but as a joy in the good news. So let's sing, Christ be our light. And as we do that, I just invite you just to come as you're able around the tables and to light a candle looking for the Lord Jesus in your life, renewing you in this new year.